Hey, this is David Merrill, pastor of the Well Church. I would like to first thank you for downloading the app and listening to what God is doing through the life and ministry of the Well Church. I would also ask that before you listen to this message, that you would pray that God not only continues to transform lives through this ministry, but also that as you hear the word of God proclaimed, pray that the Holy Spirit will convict you in areas that your life has not been given over to God, empower you to repent and turn, but also embolden you to be doers of the word and not simply hearers, in order that you become a light in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, and even in your local church body. Let us be radically in love with Jesus and radically in love with his people. Once again, I just thank you for listening, and may God bless you abundantly. Let me ask you a question. I'm kind of everywhere. This week I've been everywhere and, and, and writing, preparing for this message. And, but I want to start with a question. Um, I want you to think about your lives. Think about your, your week. And can you explain, could you, can you describe your life right now as being restful? Like, can we describe our life? Think about it. Like, right now, if there was one word that you can use to describe your life, would it be, man, I just feel at rest. I feel peaceful. You know, everything's just is shalom right now in my life. And it, it almost seems humorous to even say, oh, yeah, my life is restful, especially with what's going on. I mean, we're in probably one of the most divisive elections most of us have ever experienced. I know I've never experienced anything like this. You know, we have the coronavirus and, and a lot of fears and a lot of insecurities and a lot of chaos running around and everybody is becoming so divided. I mean, I was at uh, Ingalls the other day and, and somebody threw a bag of potatoes at another person over a mask, hit him in the head. And I was like, that was a good throw. I mean, I'm not going to, was, it was across the room too. Um, but I mean, that's the, that's the temperature of our culture is we're divided, we're angry. And then not to mention our own personal stuff, y'all. We're dealing with, with sicknesses. We're dealing with job loss, insecurities of don't know how we're going to pay the bills. Our marriages are falling apart and, and things are happening. And so the idea of having rest and peace in our lives, it's, it's comical because there's just no way that I can have rest. And yet this morning... In the book of Hebrews, and, and, and this is probably out of all the sermons that I've preached thus far in the book of Hebrews, this has been the hardest for me. And God is, every time I preach a message, God tempts me, not tempts me, God tempts no one, but I'm tempted and God teaches me a lesson on the topic that week. And so this week I have had to fight for the rest of God. But the Bible tells us that while we are in chaos, that we could actually have rest. That we could actually experience the rest of God. We could actually experience the rest that is found in Jesus Christ. So the title of this morning's sermon, it goes with the theme of the book of Hebrews, is Jesus is better. He is a better rest. Jesus is better rest. That we find better rest in Jesus. So let's figure out what this means, how this looks, and what stops us from entering into his rest. So the, the, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 1, it says this, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Okay, so 
the author is drawing in, he, he begins with therefore, and we've learned that that's going to take us back to chapter 3. Therefore is referring to what happened before, what he's talking about. And so what we saw in chapter 3 was that the Israelites were called to the rest of God, but they did not, they never entered into the rest. That in Exodus chapter 33, Moses and God are having this dialogue, this conversation back and forth. And, and, and Moses is like, teach me your ways, teach me your will, so that we could actually be approved in your sight, so that we could actually honor you, and that we could love you, teach us your ways. And God says, I promise that my presence will go with you, and you will find my rest. That was the promise. That was what God told Moses, said, I will go with you. You will find my rest in me. So in other words, God tells Moses that I will be your God. You will be my people. I'm going to be your king. You're going to be my subjects. I'm going to be your your provision. You just need to trust me. I'm going to walk with you in the desert, and you find everything you need in me. That's the only job of Israel. In order to enter into the rest of God, the only job that Israel had was trust me. Follow me, obey me, put faith in me, and I will provide. And yet, they had one job, and what do we see in the Old Testament? Israel could not put their faith in God. They couldn't put their trust in God. They couldn't walk in the fullness of God's provisions. Every time something came about, every time something got uncomfortable, we see that Israel tended to put their eyes back on Egypt. They tended to, uh, they, they tended to put their eyes back on slavery. They would rather be enslaved by Egypt than trust in the provisions of God. Israel would rather be back in Egypt than actually have to trust that God's going to provide. And that's what we see throughout the Old Testament. And guys, I was thinking about that truth. And, and how often is this true of us? I mean, think about this. God leads you out of a situation, whether it's a job, whether it's a relationship, whether it, whatever it may be, in a new ministry, God leads us out of a situation and into a promised land, into a new situation. And rather than in that vulnerable place, I mean, I, I know in my life, Man, there have been times where God has ripped me out of stuff, where I didn't have the faith or the strength to actually get. I remember when I was in a bad relationship, you know, before I met Savannah, and I just knew it was, it was bad. I mean, she was fine, whatever, uh, but it just was not a healthy relationship. And I knew, and I prayed, God, I don't have the strength to get out of this relationship, so you're going to have to do something. And God did. He, he broke my neck. I broke my neck a week later, and then she left me. And I couldn't chase after her. I couldn't do anything. I, it was, God ripped it out. What did I do the whole time? But God, I want that bad miss her. I loved her. You know, my CDs are in her truck. Like, I need her. It's like we look back to that slavery. Rather than sitting in that vulnerability of a place where God must provide and God must, and trusting and depending on God, whether God moves us out of a job and now where there's uncertainty, insecurities, or, or a new job, that we don't know if we have the capabilities of doing or that it's, we're uncomfortable, we would rather go back to the unhealthy job and the slavery of what we used to be. And even though it's toxic, but it's comfortable. There's something familiar, familiar about slavery. There's something comfortable about being in slavery. And that's what we see with the, with the Egyptians or with the Israelites. That's what stopped them from entering into the rest of God was that every time something got uncomfortable, as soon as they got hungry... They looked back to Egypt. Remember when they would 
Moses went up into Mount Sinai, and Moses is taking some time. He's with God. And what did the, the Israelites do? They started building a calf, a cow, a golden cow to worship him in the image of a god of Egypt, right? I was telling my daughter that this... Um, Last night, actually, we were talking about the, the Israelites building a cow, and, and I was like, baby, they were worshiping the cow, and she just laughed. She's like, you don't worship a cow. You worship God. And, and I'm like, I know. And they, yet they were worshiping this cow. They, they went back to Egypt, the image of a God of Egypt every time. God, even, even in the promised land. Even in the promised land, God leads them to the promised land. They send spies. They see the promised land, but they also see the, the armies that they can't physically beat, and they come back in their fear. This is what they tell Moses and the rest of the Israelites. This is what they say. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword and our wives and children should become victims? Why uh, would it not have been better for us to return to Egypt? Listen to this. So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. The people of Israel would rather be in slavery where it's comfortable and familiar, where they know that they have a daily bread by the, their slave masters than be under the provisions of God and have to walk in faith. And this is why God says in, in Psalms 95, in Psalms 95, God says, for 40 years I was disgusted with this generation. I said, they are a people who, who, whose hearts go astray. They do not know my ways, so I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest. God's not going to enter my rest. So the first thing we learn in the, in the book of Hebrews about the rest of God, how we have to are, are called or how we find the rest of God, the first foundational truth is that rest is found in faith. You cannot have rest of God if you do not have faith in his provisions. If you do not have faith in his, in his sovereignty, if you do not put your trust in him, you will not have the rest. What does the author say in verse 2? He says, for indeed, the gospel was preached to us. So what's the gospel? Like the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of God's rest, the good news of salvation. It was preached to us as well as to them. So there's good news. So, but the word which they heard, okay, so they heard the good news of rest. They heard the good news of faith. Which Abraham was saved by what? Faith, right? They heard it, but what happened? It did not profit them. Why? Because it was not mixed with faith. So they heard the good news. They heard the, 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 the promise of God, the promise of rest, the promise of the promised land, but they didn't have the faith to do it. So what does God say? For we who have believed do not enter. We, have, we do enter that rest, as he has said. I swore in my wrath, that's Psalms 95, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the earth. What is God saying? Hebrews is he's saying God has finished the work, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, first, second, third, second, uh, fifth. Fourth, fourth, fifth, sixth, counting. Um, six days finished. Seventh day rested. It's done. And enter the world. Jesus comes. What does he say on the cross? It is finished. He restored it. He's finished. It's done. It's, the rest is available to all people. But the problem, the only way to enter into this rest that's available to all people is through faith. And let me just tell you something. Just as the people of Israel 
There, there will be people, and the same as the people in the author of Hebrews and, and are the, the listeners of Hebrews, there will be people who leave slavery. There will be people who leave the temple, the sacrifices, all that the old ways come under the umbrella of the gospel. People who leave slavery and come under the, the umbrella of the promises of God. There will be people who leave the bars. People who leave the relationships. People who leave the world situation, circumstance, come under the umbrella of the church and still not find the rest. Why? Because their faith is not in Christ. We've been talking about this idea of spiritual drifting, that you could actually be under the umbrella of the gospel. Because here's the truth. You know, it doesn't take a genius, like any dumb-dumb can stand in the midst of slavery while he's being whipped and say, I don't like this. This is probably not healthy for me. You know, this is not a good situation. I need to get out of slavery. You know, anybody can sit in the, in the bars and watch their life going into decay, watching the, the effects of drugs and addiction. They could be broken. Anybody can stop back and say, this is probably not healthy. So I need a better way. I need to get out of this. And then they, they could cling and hear the good news of the gospel, y'all. They could hear the good news of the church, and they could find the love and the acceptance of the ch- in the church or the, the grace in the church. And they can sit under the umbrella of the grace of the church, but they have never anchored or cling to the faith in Jesus Christ as their provider. And you, know, you want to know how you could tell if you are a spiritual drifter? It's easy to claim faith, but the, the, the surefire way to tell is every time things get uncomfortable or challenging, the world gets exhausted, things happen in your life, where do your eyes turn in the midst of that? Your eyes turning back to slavery. When your life gets uncomfortable, do your eyes turn back to the drugs? I need a quick fix. This is what saves me. This is what helps me. This is what gives me peace. This is what helps me and gets me through this time. I need it. Do our eyes turn back to the things that we walked away from? Because faith is, it's easy to have faith in the midst of good stuff. But when you're going through trials, where do your eyes turn? You guys, there's something familiar about pornography. There's something comfortable about alcohol. There's something, there's something reassuring. There's something peaceful about overindulgence and trying to eat your pain away about being in a situation where things are uncomfortable. It's something peaceful about taking control and becoming overbearing and controlling it yourself rather than relinquishing control to God. There's, there's familiarity in slavery. And, you know, the faith is not... It was easy. Remember when, remember when Israel... They left Egypt, right? And, and they get through the promised land, okay? They get through the promised land, or they get through the, uh, the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea, okay? Pretty cool. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen something like that, but it's pretty cool to watch. Um, God parts the ocean. They walk through the Red Sea. They get to the other side. And what does every single person do? They worship. They worship God. They praise God. And if you were a, a witness, if you were a fly on the wall, and you saw the millions of, of, of Israelites worshiping God, you'd be like, man, they have faith. They believe God. They love God because they're worshiping. Well, of course they're worshiping. What happened just before the ocean parted? What, did they, what were they saying? And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. Oh, sorry. 
Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to God. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us out here to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us so, bring, uh, you, uh, to bring us out of Egypt? Listen, is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than for us to die in the wilderness. Just before the parting of the Red Sea, they're already saying, we should have stayed. Why, why are we out here? This, it would have been better. Then God does the miracle. They all worship. Awesome. Great. What happens three verses? Not, not, not chapters. Verses later, after they have this huge feast of worship, this song of worship, Three verses later, they, they get thirsty and their eyes turn back. Because it is easy to be praising and to say, I have faith in God when your, your bills are paid. It's easy to say, I have faith in God when your job, when your marriage is healthy. It's easy to say, I have faith in God when your life is good, when the blessings of God are, are, are flowing over you. It is easy to say, I have faith, but the fruit and the evidence of your faith is not in the blessings. The fruit and evidence of your faith is in the blessings and in the trials. And if every time you go through a trial, you turn your eyes back to Egypt, you are no different than the Israelites, which the author of Hebrews says, you have an unbelieving heart. You see, faith is found in trials. What does James says? He says, find joy, rejoice in the midst of trials. Wow. Why? Because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance equips you to have every good thing. Guys, we've got to check ourselves because we can't say that we have faith and then look at our lives and the fruit of our lives. And every time it gets tough, we're turning to our own power, our own authority. We're turning to our old sins. We're That's not faith. Yeah, but I said a prayer when I was younger. I said a prayer when I was 13. Of course I'm saved. Guys, I'm going to say something that you probably have never heard before. But there is no such thing as a salvation prayer in the Bible. It's not in there. What we see in Scripture are lives that are founded and rooted in faith in Jesus Christ. Lives, not a moment. A life that says Jesus is my Lord and my provider and my strength. And when things get hard, I lean in on him. When I'm going through a hard time, when I'm going through hell, when my, my marriage is broken, I lean in on Jesus. I don't turn back to my old slavery. That's the gospel. Is a heart that does not want the old junk anymore because they found the treasure in the field. They want Jesus and they know he's the provider. What does the author say in Hebrews 4? He goes on in verse 4. He says, for he has spoken in certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they, not, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains that some must enter it. And those to whom it was first uh, preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, today, after such a long time, uh, as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not have afterward have spoken of another day. Therefore, or there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered 
his rest has himself also ceased from his work from the, uh, from his work as God did from his. Now that could be a little confusing, but I want to break this apart just for a second. The idea of a seventh day, the Sabbath day, the rest. This kind of draws into the the whole theme of this book because the whole theme of the book is Hebrews is Jesus is better and he fulfills the Old Testament. So we're going to see Jesus is better than the the priesthood. He's better than the sacrifices. He's better than the the Sabbath day. He's better than all these different things. Jesus fulfills it all. And what the author is showing here is that in the Old Testament, there were shadows of rest. There was imagery of rest. God gave us the Sabbath day as an imagery of rest. He gave us the promised land as an imagery of rest. And so I want you to think of it as a shadow. Like right now, you could see my shadow moving on that wall, right? See that? Now, if you were standing in front of me and you only saw the shadow, it doesn't take a genius to realize that if there's a shadow, there's something actually behind you, right? There's something casting the shadow. There's a substance that's going to cast the shadow. And so what the author is showing us throughout the book of Hebrews is that this shadow that we're seeing, that is the temple. It's just a shadow. That is the the sacrifices. It's just a shadow. And all the shadow, all these things in the Old Testament were to point to a substance. And the substance, as Colossians says, and Paul says in Colossians, he says, therefore, do not let anybody judge you on food, drink, or regarding festival, or new moon, or what? Sabbaths which are shadows of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So the author, the Paul, tells us that all these things in the Old Testament, including the Sabbath day, was to show us and point to the rest in Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of the day. Now, does this mean that we don't celebrate the Sabbath? I will say this, that every other, ten, every other one of the Ten Commandments is reiterated in the New Testament. You know, love the Lord your God, do not murder, obey your father, mother, all that. The Sabbath is the only one that is not reiterated in the, Old, in the New Testament. In fact, what we see from Paul and other writers that Jesus actually, Jesus actually says he's the fulfillment of the Sabbath, that he is rest. But is it okay to celebrate a Sabbath? Yes, I believe it's good. The, here's what Jesus says. The Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. It is good not to work seven days a week, guys. I don't know if that, that's shocking to you. It's, not, it's good to take a break, but not, you know, men, listen, I'm, t- I'm speaking to you. I'm not talking about taking a day off and sitting in front of your TV and watching the game while your wife is taking care of their children. Okay? That's not good. I'm talking about taking a day and enjoying your family. Taking a day and dwelling on the provisions of God because God has provided you. And you're taking a day where you're not working. You're not having to earn anything. You're not work striving for anything. You're resting in the provisions of God. What I am saying, though, is that you will not find rest on a day. You're not going to find it there. You're not going to find rest in a Sabbath day. Because the only place that we find rest is in the substance, which is Jesus. That's the substance of rest. And God says that you could actually enter into his rest. Let me think about this. You could enter into the rest of God. How stressed is God? Like, do you think he's worried about the election? Like, who's going to be president? I don't know. He's pacing back and forth. Or, uh, you know, do you think he's worried about the coronavirus? Like, what's going to happen? I don't know. It's going to happen. You know, is he worried about your job? Or about, is he, I don't know how he's going to pay the bills. Like, I'm stressing out. Now, now, we do have a great high priest who can sympathize with us, but we also, our high priest is the creator and sustainer of this world. God is not stressed. He's at rest. And the Bible says you could enter into his rest. The perfect rest of God. 
And the question is, is why do we not experience this rest? Why is our life stressed? Now, there's two aspects of this. I want to say this. There's two aspects. When it talks about the rest of God, the first rest is eternal rest. Now, when you enter into, through faith with Jesus Christ, there is an eternal rest. You're at peace with your creator. You're not an, an enemy of God anymore. The Bible says you were an enemy. Now you're at peace. You're a child of the living God. So there is a spiritual rest, an eternal rest. I get to be with Jesus for all of eternity. I'm a child of the living God. That's restful. But there's also an experiential rest that we should be experiencing throughout our daily lives. Then there's eternal rest, but there's experiential rest that I believe we're struggling with. Why? Well, I believe for two reasons. I believe the first reason is that we're looking in the wrong place. What does the author say? It says, if, if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. See, Joshua brought the Israelites into the promised land, right? He brought the Israelites into the promised land. That was supposed to be a period of rest, a time where they had their own land, no battles, no war, milk and honey, great rest. But then it says, but if that was going to bring them rest, it would have. But Joshua speaks of another day, a day that would be fulfilled in Christ. So the day, the place, the circumstance was not to bring them rest. Physical remedies, circumstances do not bring us rest, but what yet, what do we do? If you're stressed out, if you're tired, if you're exhausted, if you're, what do you say? I need a vacation. I need a vacation. And then you go on a vacation and you need a vacation from your vacation, especially if you bring kids, okay? Amen. You need a vacation from a vacation. What would he say? I need a new job. My job is bringing me just stress and it's toxic. I need a new job. That will bring me rest. Man, I just need a new husband. My husband is not, it's toxic. I need a new husband. That's going to, and it won't. I promise you guys. I promise you ladies. We're all men. There's no difference. We ain't going to bring you rest. But that's what we say. We need a new something. We need a vacation. We need a day. We need an experience. We need a new circumstance. That will bring us rest. And what we find is that all of these things that promise to bring rest never do. I, one of the common conversations that I have with people about this topic is like, isn't it crazy how you can literally spend all day long sitting on your butt on the couch eating Cheetos and bonbons and watching Netflix doing nothing? nothing at the end of the day you feel worse it's weird every time i mean i do it probably more often than i should i'm just kidding i don't get to do that anymore not with the kids but two years ago i was a lazy person um every time it's like man that doesn't bring me nothing i feel worse but then they always say this he's like but it's interesting how you could spend 30 minutes in prayer and bible reading with jesus 30 minutes and I feel so rested. I feel so good. And some of y'all are nodding your heads because you know it's true. Like you can literally spend all day doing nothing, resting, and find no rest. Spend 30 minutes before you have one of the craziest days of your life, 30 minutes with Jesus, and you walk in rest and peace because you found the source of rest. It's not going to be in anything else. It's at the feet of Jesus. It's in him that we have rest. And so the first reason we're not finding rest is because we have lost the art of sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so we're not going to find rest because we're not going to the source of rest. But the second reason we struggle with this, hear this. It's because of disobedience. It's because of disobedience that we do not find rest. What does the author say? 
Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart of man. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The author says that disobedience, he says, be diligent in entering in this rest and walking away from disobedience or walking, uh, do not follow the example of disobedience of Israel. And, and I was just praying about this because there's a, there's a, a mis- mistake that we often have that disobedience is kind of the end all. Um, it, it's not a fruit. It's kind of the substance that I, I could be in faith with Jesus Christ. I could love Jesus Christ. I could have complete trust in Jesus Christ and there will be disobedience in my life. And that doesn't mean that I don't love Jesus Christ. I don't trust Jesus Christ. I don't have faith in Jesus Christ. There's just some disobedience in my life. That's a lie that we believe. Now, I'm not saying that there's disobedience in your life, that there's not salvation. But what I am saying is if there is disobedience in your life, it is the fruit of unbelief. It is the evidence that there is something in your life that you have not surrendered to Jesus Christ, that you're not trusting in his provisions in an area of your life. And in that sense, that's beautiful, and that's, that's God in and of himself of giving us those convictions of the Holy Spirit to see the fruit, because for us who are chasing after Christ, man, that's a place that we don't see, a weakness, that we could get on our face and say, Jesus, take it. This is, this is something in me that's not trusting in you. But disobedience, whether it's because you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, period, and, and that needs to change, or you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, but there's an area in your life where you're not fully trusting, disobedience will never produce rest. If you are walking in disobedience, you're not going to find rest. Let me say this. I mean, think about it this way. When you're walking in a lie, when you lie to your spouse, do you have rest? No, not even physically, because if you lie to your spouse, then you got to make sure she doesn't catch your lie. Then you're going around and making sure she doesn't talk to this person, this person, get all the connections down. So even physically, you don't have rest, but spiritually, there's a conviction. There's no rest. There's no peace, right? Which is a blessing from the Holy Spirit. I was talking to somebody a couple weeks ago, and he was like, man, I, I feel this conviction. And I said, well, praise God, because if you're not feeling conviction, there's an issue. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that, that he will convict, but the, the judgment of God is that he will give you over to yourself, meaning he won't convict you. He'll let you have your sin. So the moment that you stop being convicted over your sins, then you need to start getting on your knees and, and worrying. But if you have conviction, that's a blessing from God to get into repentance. But you're not going to have rest. When you're gossiping, do you have rest? No. If I gossip about somebody, i got to make sure that person doesn't talk to the person I gossiped about. And there's this chain of gossip, and, and it doesn't bring rest anyways because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know, when we're walking in anger and unforgiveness, are you at rest? Like, really, do you, are you, oh, this feels so good. I, hate, I love hating him. I just love it. I'm just peaceful. I can sleep at night so well. It doesn't bring rest. 
or even sins of omission. A lot of times we think, oh, sins are the don'ts do. Jesus also says, go out and make disciples. He says, take your resources of this world and store up treasures in heaven. Use your resources for eternal things, not for, e- for earthly things. He says, live as unto me. He says, do not, do not deny me. Do not reject me. Because those who deny me before man, I will deny them before my father. He says, go and make disciples. And yet, when we're walking in sin of a mission, saying we'd rather sit in the comforts and the complacency of our own safety at home rather than go out and make disciples, you're not going to find peace and rest sitting in your home. You're not going to find rest sitting under the umbrella of buying more and more and more for you. This is a big one, y'all. In our Instagram narrative, listen to me, and, and I pray that the Holy Spirit right now convicts every single one of us who have an addiction. This is a platform that is set up to be all about you, for your image, for your glory, for your narcissistic tendencies, all of us. And as long as we continue to make it about us, we're not going to walk in rest. Because the Bible says, love your neighbor more than yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Your problem isn't loving yourself. Our problem is loving our neighbors and surrendering our lives to our neighbors. See, disobedience will not breed rest. And that's why I believe the Bible says, this is so, I was, the first time I read this, I was like, God, I don't know what you're talking about. It says, be diligent in seeking rest. Diligence, rest. Work, rest. Work for rest. It's like a juxtaposed juxtaposed to one another. Work and rest. But it's this battle. It is this fight because everything in this world, everything is promising you rest. Everything is promising complacency. It's promising it's all about you. Your flesh wants it. Your flesh wants comfort. Your flesh wants the pride. Your flesh wants self-indulgence. It's all about you. And it's this battle to enter into obedience. It's this battle to say, no, I'm trusting in Jesus. I don't want it to be about me. And we're working. It's this battle to step out in faith, to go talk to somebody about Jesus out on the street. It's this battle. It's diligence to enter. It's a work to enter into the rest of God. But I promise you, when you are diligently working, and I was telling this in the Bible study, guys, if you've ever done something for the kingdom of God, gone on a mission trip, like I, I go on a mission trip, and I, mean, I, I try to treat home as this is my mission field. So when I'm in the gym, I try to treat it there. But when I'm only on mission in a foreign land, digging holes for, for 12 hours a day, hands are blistered up, I'm at rest. I may be physically drained, but I'll keep going because there's a rest in my spirit. I'm at rest because I'm walking in the will of God. I'm diligently seeking the will of God. When we are walking in obedience, we're saying that we trust that you will provide what I need in the midst of the the chaos, in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the struggle. God, your ways are better. You see, when we walk in disobedience, we're saying, God, I know that if I tell the truth, that's what you want. But if I lie, there will be peace in my home. If I lie to my wife, there will be rest. If I tell the truth, there won't. What are we doing? We're trying to create our own rest, our own peace, our own shalom. We are taking it. We are saying, God, I don't trust your ways, your provision. This is what I think is going to create the rest that I'm looking for. And you go down the list of our disobedience. That's ultimately what we're doing. We're not trusting in the provisions of God. Because I was thinking about this this week. 
trying to figure out the best way to say this. You know, there, there are people in this room we've talked about this so often and especially with the, book, the author of Hebrews because he's going, the book of Hebrews is going on this topic so long and this is kind of how we're coming to a close but so the bank is start coming up but um, like I said earlier, nowhere in scripture and don't, don't automatically assume, okay, this is me. This is the, that's a wrong place to be because the Bible says constantly make sure your calling and election is sure. There's not a day that goes by that I'm checking my fruit. That I'm like, God, I, I, what is this? I, is this lack of faith? What, what? The Bible doesn't give us this, say this prayer moment in time. It doesn't. The more I study scripture and the more that I'm seeing this, over and over and over and over again. Is the scripture is pretty clear that when you are saved, we use that word saved, the better word is when you are renewed, when you are, a, you are a pig, and now you're not a pig, you were a dog, now you're not a dog, you're changed. And your life is going to see that Jesus is the prize, Jesus is the treasure, and we've got to be diligent because everything in this world wants to fight against that. But a life that has found Jesus and the treasure will be chasing after that, and a life that is bearing the fruit of faith. The Bible says it is impossible to please God apart from faith. And I believe there are some people in this room that every time things get hard, their eyes turn to their slavery. They turn back to their drugs. They turn back to their, their pornography. They turn back to their addictions. They turn back. And that is evidence that you have not put your faith and trust in your great provider. You've not put your trust in the provider. You do when it's nice and easy. Just like the Israelites. So now is the time. Today is the time. You stop this. It's done. You're done with you. It's not my way anymore. It's God's way. It's his way. It's his life. It's his rest. It's his provision. It's his strength. I don't want to live for me anymore. I died to myself and now it's Christ who lives through me. And this life that I now live, I live for the glory of Jesus Christ. That is the time. That is the life. It's not a moment. It's a life. So for you, let this be the day because you will not find the rest we're talking about this morning without that. But then some of us in this room, we, uh, we're walking in disobedience and so you're not walking in the rest of God. I'm gonna, we're going to get some, it's going to be uncomfortable in here in a second, guys, okay? I'm going to feel the tension in the room, but it's going to get weird. The Bible says, and if you're new here, we don't often do this. So like, this is one of those weird ch- churches. Do they, help, they, they handle snakes as well? No, we don't. Not on the weekends, just during the week. But the Bible says to confess your sins to one another. It's what James chapter 5 says. If you have sin, confess it to each other. Some of us have been walking in disobedience for a long time. Some of us have been walking in some sins, whether it's pride. Some of us in this room and walking in pornography 
walking in sexual addiction, walking in greed, walking in all kinds of addictions, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol. Some of us have been walking in, I've not been lusting, I've not been, I've never cheated, I've never had an affair, but I have been lusting. I'm walking in love. Every girl that I see, every man that I see, I'm lusting on what it would be like to be with them. You've been holding that in. You've been keeping that in. You've been, it's been about you. You've allowed Satan to work because you have not exposed it to the, the light. The Bible says, get it into the light. Stop holding it into the darkness because in the darkness, Satan can use it. If, if, God, if, you, if your pastor knew what you did last night, if your girlfriend, if your wife knew what you were doing, and often they do, and it breaks their hearts. The Bible says, get it to the light. Let people, let God deal with it. It's not, you're not hiding it from God. You're just keeping it to where it's keeping you a slave. And this is where it gets weird. You're like, I don't, I don't know, Pastor. Uh, I think I can handle it myself. I don't want to tell nobody. This is my secret. You know, I'll just deal with it myself. Keep it in. I'm going to handle it. Really? How's that been going for you? Was it been 10, 15 years that you've been staring at a computer screen? 10, 15 years since you've been walking in this lust and greed? How's it going for you? The Bible says, get it out. Let God deal with it. Let God expose it. So for some of us, we need to have a moment of repentance and turning, confession, to walk in the rest of God. Get this off our lives. But then for some of us, we need to learn how to look in the right direction. And this is where I was talking to somebody this week and, and we all, actually the men's group, we were all in agreement. Like it is hard to sit at the feet of Jesus for longer than three minutes, right? And when you're praying, you're like, after three minutes, you're thinking about other things. It's just our fast paced world. We've lost the art of dis, or the discipline of, of rest, of a meditation, of meditating on Jesus, of praying with Jesus, of reading his word. And so it's gonna take time, but we need to start getting back in that discipline every day Start with three minutes. Get your mind back. Every time you go somewhere else, no, three minutes. Set your clock. Next day, five minutes. Set your clock. Next week, 10 minutes. Set your clock every day. Then before you know it, 30 minutes, you're, 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 you've mastered the, the practice and the discipline of sitting with Jesus and finding rest. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to have rolling Bible, Bible verses on the screen. They're just going to roll. And we're going to have, the band's going to be playing, and that's just to drown out the coughing, the, the rustling, the noise. And me and Daniel are going to be up here. And this is going to be a time of prayer. And this is how I pray, just, you know, this is, this is how I pray in my own personal time. It's a conversation, so I'll read a Bible verse, which will be on the screen, and then I pray it. Like, so a basic Bible verse, um, you know, what does it say? Be diligent in finding rest. And not in disobedience, not walking. So I read that verse and I read it and then I say, God, just give me diligence. God, give me the strength to push, expose weaknesses, areas in my life that I've been walking in disobedience. God, so I pray the verse. It's a conversation. God speaks, I pray back. So that's, that's my prayer life. Praying through the Bible. And it's very, it's very effective because you could do that for an hour and it's a whole conversation, right? You're not allowing the Satan to start working. What am I having for dinner? It doesn't... 
So that's why I'm doing this. I have Bible verses so you can sit if you want to, or you can just be quiet, close your eyes and meditate and be with God and pray. But for some of us, we need to confess our sins. And it doesn't have to be to me, it doesn't have to be to Daniel, but it needs to be to somebody, get it open. So we're gonna have time to enter into the rest of God this morning. So I'm gonna close, the, the turn off the lights, um, the, the house lights. It's gonna get weird up in here, intimate. And I just want to have a time of rest. Okay? And this is how Satan's going to work. Some of y'all are hungry. Some of y'all think about, man, I got to be somewhere. Lunch starts at 12, and I want to get there before the Baptist. I mean, like, I need to... Don't let Satan get in it. Let's find the rest in Jesus.